Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we indeed do praise you for the great gifts of mercy that you have poured into our lives, for the wonderful provisions that you have made for our lives. And it is our privilege now to give back to you a portion of all that you have given to us. Father, use these gifts for the expansion of your church, for the provision of your, for your people, and most of all, for the glory of your name here and throughout the world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you'll remain standing again, it's a pleasure to welcome Mike Osborne back to the pulpit as he comes to uh, read the word and deliver the sermon. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Good morning. And uh, it is really wonderful to be back here at Christ the King to worship God with you. Our scripture reading is Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 17. The focus of my message is going to be the last six or seven verses, but I need to begin with verse 1 to give you the sense of the flow of this chapter. So hear God's word, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. 
I read on the front of your bulletin some words that I assume are there every week, and maybe they are so familiar to you, you haven't read them for a while, but on the front of the bulletin it says at the very bottom, to all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire hope, to all who sin and need a Savior, I cannot imagine a better passage of Scripture than this one that I just read to answer the need of every single human being listed in that little paragraph. I love Romans chapter 8. And I'm sure many of you do as well. I suspect that some of you have memorized verses from Romans chapter 8. Who does not know verse 28? We know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? We love that verse. We love the end of Romans chapter 8 that talks about what we will experience when we are glorified. But the other reason that I love Romans chapter 8 is because of what it teaches about our adoption. I want to talk today to you this morning about our adoption. Our adoption by God, our Father. And I want to answer two basic questions for you this morning. Just a two-point sermon. How about that? Actually, second point has five sub-points. So. <laughs> but I want to answer two basic questions. First question, what is adoption? Second question, what difference does it make? All right, so if we can walk out of here this morning with the answers to those from Romans chapter 8, I believe we will indeed find that we who are spiritually weary will find rest. So let's dive in first to the first question. What is adoption? Well, adoption is taking in an orphan, right? Adoption means taking in an orphan and making him or her your child. It means taking the person who is on the outside and bringing him or her into the inside. Some of you have adopted children. Some of you may be trying to adopt children. I suspect that there are people in the room this morning who may be adopted children. Uh, And there might even be some in the room who had a child that you weren't prepared to care for, but you loved that child so much that you carried him or her to term and then placed that child for adoption. What a wonderful thing adoption is. So you know what adoption is on the human plane. What do we mean when we say that God has adopted us? Well, here's a definition. Adoption is a gracious act of God in which through the work of Christ, He brings those into His family who were formerly not in His family. He brings into His family those who were not naturally His and treats them as His very own. That's what we mean when we say that God has adopted people. Perhaps some of you know the story of Big Mike. A few years ago, there was a pretty popular movie that came out called The Blind Side. And it was the story of Big Mike, an adopted child. 
Mike was born in Memphis, Tennessee and grew up in the worst part of the city. He was one of 12 children. He didn't know his dad because his dad lived his life pretty much in and out of prison. In fact, his dad was murdered while in prison. His mom was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. Until Big Mike was 16, he lived with friends, he lived with foster homes, he lived on the street. He went to 11 different schools during his first nine years as a student. And the climax of that movie, The Blind Side, you remember if you've seen it, was one night when Big Mike was walking to the school gym because it was the only place in town he knew of to find a warm place to sleep. And this couple saw him walking. They took pity on Big Mike. They let him stay at their house that night. And that night turned into weeks. And those weeks turned into months and finally years. And eventually this couple adopted Big Mike. Big Mike was a really good football player. He played high school football. He went on to play for Ole Miss. And then he was picked up by the Baltimore Ravens. Later the Tennessee Titans. And a couple of months ago, he just signed a two-year, $7 million contract with the Carolina Panthers. Big Mike is Michael Oher. You may have heard about him. It's a true story of adoption. And that is a pretty good illustration of what God does when He adopts someone. Except for one big thing. When God adopted us, we were not just strangers. We were not just orphans. We were His enemies. We were rebels. We had broken His laws times without number. We were sinners both by birth and by choice. And yet God in His love and grace looked down at us. We were on the outside and He pulled us into the inside. He took people who were not formerly in His family and adopted them and made them family members, treated them just as though they were natural sons and daughters. Think of it. Think of it, believers. You have been rescued from the family of the devil and welcomed into God's household. You've been taken out of the gutter and brought into the mansion of God's redeeming love. Your new name that you've been given is Christian. All charges have been dropped against you. Your debt of sin has been paid in full by Jesus on the cross. God is no longer just your lawgiver. He is your Father. I know many of you know theology pretty well. You've studied the Bible and you understand a lot of the great things that God has done for us in Christ. And one of those things is justification. Right? God has justified us. That's one of the major themes of the book of Romans. God has forgiven all our sins and declared us righteous. And many times the illustration of God's justification is that of a judge sitting in a courtroom. Right? And a criminal is brought before that judge and the judge looks down at that criminal and says, you're not guilty. Go free. You are righteous. And rightly, we celebrate justification. It is a beautiful doctrine. I love thinking about how the judge has declared me righteous in Christ. 
That is a glorious truth. But think about it. How much more glorious is it to think that that judge steps down from the bench, wraps that criminal in his arms, and says to him or her, you're coming home with me today. I mean, how many judges do you know like that? That would step down to the criminal and say, you're my child. You're not just righteous, but now you're one of mine. Come home and be with me today. You're going to be in my family. See, justification is glorious. Adoption is more glorious. There's nothing higher than this. Adoption is the heart of the gospel. And we must think about it and ponder it and celebrate it much more often than we do. Now, this question, what is adoption, raises a couple more questions. Let's talk about them. One is, when did God adopt you? If you're a Christian this morning, when did God adopt you? The answer, long before you were born. It says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Your adoption was part of God's predestining plan. See, here's what happened. Before God spoke the universe into being, before He said, let there be light, He looked down upon the mass of humanity. He saw you in your sin and in your misery. He looked upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the life that you're supposed to live, who died the death that you deserve to die, and then rose again in conquering victory over that sin and death. And He then adopted you in Christ. He saw you in His Son. And He said, I want you to be part of my family. Long before you had done anything good or bad to deserve it or to uh, eliminate yourself from consideration. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Why? Second question. Why did He do it? Did He adopt you because you were cute and intelligent and God saw that you had the potential of being a great Christian leader or some such thing like that? No. The answer, why? Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. That's why. That's why you weren't adopted because you were cute and intelligent and had all this potential and because you go to church and try to do good things. That's not why God saw you and then adopted you. God adopted you because He wanted to set His love upon you and so that the praise of His astonishing grace would reverberate throughout the halls of the universe forever and ever. That's called glory. And one day you and I are going to share in that glory. Third question. And this is a really, really important one. Sometimes you hear it said that everybody is God's children. Everybody is a part of God's family. Is that true? The answer is found in our text this morning. Look at verse 14. If you still have your Bibles open, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now this could be a hard truth, but I want you to hear it. 
All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then earlier in verse 9, Paul says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You see, friends, God is only the Father of those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Until a person does that, he or she is not a child of God. Instead, he or she is alienated from God, separate from God, trying to live a life in, in, uh, in independence from God rather than dependence upon God. God is only the Father of those who trust in Christ for salvation. If God, listen, if God were everyone's Father... Jesus Christ had no business coming to the earth and dying on the cross. If everybody was in God's family, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection were of no consequence. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3 that we were children of wrath before we became children of God. And Jesus put it even more bluntly. One time Jesus was talking to a group of people in John 8... And he said, you are of your father, the devil. If God were your father, you would love me. Now, let me make one thing clear that maybe you're stumbling over a little bit. There is a sense in which we could say that everyone is God's child if you think of that as being created by God. If you're going to consider God as the creator, then yes, everyone is a child of God in that sense. And that's why Paul in Acts chapter 17, he was speaking to a group of people in the city of Athens. And he said that we are all God's offspring. So yes, in that sense, God can be considered the father of every person in the sense that he is their creator. But not in the sense that we're looking at here in Romans chapter 8. Only the Christian can truthfully pray the Lord's Prayer where it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Only the Christian can cry out, Abba, Father! Because only the Christian has received what Paul says in Romans 8 is the spirit of sonship. Until, listen, until you repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, you cannot claim God as your loving Heavenly Father. Indeed, what you are is His adversary. And you have to bow the knee and ask God to bring you into His family. And listen, I'm here to tell you that God will do that. You will find God to be the best Father in the whole universe when you repent and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. When my kids were little, and we've got four children, they're all grown and out of the home now like many of your children are. But when our kids were little, we really wanted them to get this truth about God's adopting love. We wanted them, and I'm sure you who have children in the home right now, you too, you want your kids to know that God is their Father. And so what we did was we sang this little song that you probably heard yourself. It was real popular back when my kids were young. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we, sing it if you want to, should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the sons of God. And that is what you are. A son, a daughter of God when you have placed your trust in Jesus alone for salvation. That's what is adoption. So what? What difference does it make? What difference should it make in our lives to think about the fact that God has taken outsiders and brought them inside? That God has found rebels, enemies, and adopted them and brought them into His family. Well, let's look again at our text, and I want to show you. Here are the five subpoints, by the way. <laughs> I want to show you five benefits of our adoption by God. And they all start with the letter I, so it makes it a little bit easier for you to remember. Five benefits. Number one, identity. The first benefit of your adoption by God is that you have a new identity. It's an unchanging identity. You never stop being a son or a daughter of God. That is your identity. You're a child of the Father, and get this, you're a brother of Jesus or a sister of Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says there by, uh, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, it doesn't say maybe, it doesn't say sometimes are, it doesn't say on your best days you are, or when you're praying you are, or when you are in church you are. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That is who you are. Not sometimes, not just on your good days, but always. You say, oh, but you don't understand, Mike. I always, you're a son or a daughter of God. Oh, but you don't get it. I, you're always a son or daughter of God. Now, let's get this right. You're not a son of God in exactly the same way that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus' sonship is unique. In fact, did you catch when we were singing the Gloria Patri, it says that He is God's only son. And in the Nicene Creed, it refers to that as well. It says God, Jesus is God's one and only Son. Don't let that confuse you. The Bible still says you also are a son or a daughter of God. But the difference is that Jesus is God's one and only Son. He is unique. He is God's Son by virtue of His deity. You are God's son or daughter by virtue of your adoption, by grace, out of your state of sin and misery. But your position with God is the same as that of Jesus. God is your father. Jesus is your older brother. Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, is not ashamed to call us brothers. And by the way, for those of you girls and women in the room, don't be put off a little bit by the Bible's language. It keeps saying son, doesn't it? It doesn't say son and daughter or brother and sister. The reason that you are referred to as a son is that Paul is not talking here about gender. Instead, he's talking about position. He's talking about dignity. 
He's talking about the distinction that sons had in his culture. And so Paul is using the word son as a metaphor for your privileged position in the family of God. He considers you a son doesn't mean that you're not a woman or a girl. It simply means that you have the, you have the, the rank, you have the distinction, you have the honor, you have the uh, position that a son had back in the day of the Apostle Paul. And your father says to you, listen to this, your father says to you the same words he spoke to Jesus on the day that Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. You are my beloved son, daughter. With you I am well pleased. What do you think about when you hear those words? Do you believe them? Do you believe that your father actually looks down upon you, sees you, you are a mess, you've messed up, you've sinned throughout your life, you don't love him as you ought, You don't love your neighbor as you ought. And yet God the Father, because of adopting grace, looks down upon you and says, You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. With you I am delighted. Friends, you've got to get this. This is the key to living the Christian life. And I'll have a little bit more to say that later on. I read about a couple not too long ago, that have two kids. One is the biological son. They named him Mark, and he's the older of the two. And then they adopted another boy, and he's the younger of the two. His name's Tommy. And so one morning, these two parents were explaining to Tommy about his adoption. And some of you who have adopted kids, you've, you know what this is like, I'm sure. One morning, they were talking to Tommy about how he had been chosen, about how he had been hoped for, how he had been waited on and prayed for and welcomed into their family with joy. And they also had to explain to Tommy that Mark was their son biologically. Well, when they finished explaining this whole story to Tommy, he he was so taken by the fact that he was adopted that he cried out and he said, That is awesome! Can't we adopt Mark too? I mean, he got it. He saw that adoption is such an honor. It's such a great thing to be adopted. And that's the way we ought to think too. That's benefit number one, your identity. Never stop thinking about the fact that you've been adopted. Second benefit of adoption, inclusion. Inclusion. What I mean is that you belong in and to the covenant community. It's called the church. That's who you are. A member of the family of God, the church. You are a valuable member of God's redeemed family. Look at verse 12. Notice Paul's words. He's deliberate about this. He says, So then, brothers... Is that singular or plural? It's plural, right? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Paul is deliberately choosing the plural pronouns there. So then, brothers, we we are the church. We are adopted. See, adoption is not just true of you individually. It's true of us. You are not only a brother or sister of Jesus, 
you are a brother or sister of an untold number of other people who have lived throughout time who have also been adopted by God. And you are a brother or sister to the people that you see around us seated in this room this morning. Now, I've been getting to know you all a a bit. I've talked to a number of you. I've been here now four or five times, I guess. And I've really enjoyed getting to know Christ the King Presbyterian Church. But one thing I know about you is you're not a perfect church. Just because I know my church is not a perfect church. There is no perfect local church in the whole world to be found because we're still here on planet Earth. But here's the truth about you. You are a needed member of this church. You're a needed member of this particular family. You fit here. You belong here. There's a small group that needs you. There is a ministry that needs you. And this is particularly true when you're without a pastor. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the church is defined by her pastor. You are a church with or without a pastor. And so you need to be involved because you are included There's not a single person here who is not included in this body. You may think, oh, I'm different. No, you're not. You're needed. You may think, I don't have very good gifts. Yes, you do. You've got the gifts God wanted to give you. So dive in, get plugged in, find a place to serve because you are included. Third benefit of your adoption, the word intimacy. Intimacy. You have intimate immediate access to God the Father. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, what's that? Is that a little puzzling for you? The word Abba, it's simply Aramaic for Daddy. Isn't that amazing? that you can cry out to Father and call Him Daddy, just like a little one or two-year-old infant can mouth the words Dada or Mama, and you know immediately that's his or her cry for the parent to come to their rescue. This is truly incredible. And notice that Paul says, We cry, Abba, Father. It's a Greek word that actually means shriek or scream or yell at the top of your voice. Um, I have three grandchildren who live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And one of them is named Lincoln, and he's age three. We were visiting with uh, our son and daughter-in-law back in January, and we were just about ready to go. We, we had to catch a flight, and that's why, that's why what I'm going to tell you is even worse. We were just about ready to go. Well, Lincoln was so happy and just bouncing around and running around and having a great time. And he was standing over by the front door. Well, his sister Talitha, uh, someone came in the, the room. I forget who it was, but someone came in the room. And his sister Talitha walked over to the front door and slammed it as hard as she could on Lincoln's finger. And he screamed bloody murder. I've never heard him scream so loud. He shrieked it out. Daddy! That's all he had to do. His dad, my son, was there in a moment picking him up and helping him and comforting him. That's the sense in which we are to yell and scream, Daddy, 
Father, come to my rescue. I need help. I'm desperate. Isn't that great news that you can speak spontaneously to God? You can yell to God. You can speak honestly to God. You can talk with urgency to your Father. You don't have to filter your words. You don't have to censor your words. He understands. This is radical. This is so different from all of the other religions of the world. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, they're never taught this. They're not taught that they can have a relationship with a father who deeply cares for them. They're not given the language of adoption or told that they can scream to a God who will pursue them in relationship. Christianity is so wonderful. You can do what Moses did. It says in Exodus 33:11 that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. That's a unique concept, and it only belongs to Christianity. So the word is intimacy. Well, fourth word, incentive. Incentive. Your status as an adopted child of God is one of the things that gives you power to live an obedient Christian life. Now, this is a, this is a good and, and an important dynamic. Let me say that again. Your status as an adopted child of God is one of the things that gives you power to live an obedient, faithful Christian life. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because love is what propels obedience. Love is what propels obedience. I played high school football, and I had two football coaches, head coach, assistant coach. Oddly enough, the head coach's name was Paul Love. Coach Love. We were called the Love Machine. (laughs) And the assistant coach was Coach Barnes. Coach Love was true to his name. He loved his players. Coach Barnes, on the other hand, was a slave driver. Which of the two do you suppose we wanted to please the most? Coach Love. Because we knew he loved us. Love is what propels obedience. The child who knows how much his or her father loves him or her is the child who is so secure that there is a carefreeness about him. There's a happiness about him that sin can't compete with. The child who feels loved by his or her father wants to please his or her father, wants to be like his or her father. On the other hand, the child who has been abandoned by his or her father, the child who has been beaten and pushed and scolded and criticized and constantly yelled at by his father, may conform on the outside, but on the inside he is seething with hatred and insecurity. And that's the child who is controlled, as it says in verse 15, by a spirit of slavery and a spirit of fear. That's the child who kicks against the goads. That's the child who can't wait to get as far away from dad as possible. And unless God's grace intervenes, that's the child who's going to find it impossible to be holy. Do you you get that? Do you get that dynamic? That it's love that propels obedience. Look at verse 13. 
It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, this is a call to holiness, a call to faithfulness, a call to obedience. Paul says, the way you kill the flesh is by the Spirit, right? What Spirit? Verse 15, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of sonship. See, friends, do you want to kill your anger? Do you want to live in victory over your gossip, your pride, your lust, your envy, whatever sin you constantly find yourself falling into? Then believe in your sonship. Remind yourself constantly who you are. Cry out, Abba, Father. Pray to the Holy Spirit who indwells you and ask Him to sanctify you, to help you die to your sins and live to righteousness. When you're tempted to sin, say to yourself, now wait a second, I'm God's child. I don't need to do that. I don't need this sin. I live under the smile of my Father. I have His love. What more can I ask? That's the way to fight sin and temptation. Think about your adoption. It's a powerful incentive to holiness. Fifth and finally, the fifth benefit of your adoption is your inheritance. Your inheritance. You have an unbelievable inheritance awaiting you. Verses 16 and 17, look at those verses says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. There's the word, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then Paul goes on in the rest of Romans 8 to describe the glory that awaits us. Now notice that Paul says that, that there's going to be suffering in this life. You will suffer. And there's plenty of suffering to go around. I'm sure many of you know that all too well. But notice this. It's so so vital that you suffer with Christ. Do you see that? You suffer with Christ. You don't just suffer for Him. You suffer with Him. He is suffering along with you. He suffered for you on the cross. He bore the wrath of God for you in His own body. He paid the debt you could never pay so that you could have the inheritance you'll never lose. That's why Paul goes on in verse 18 to say, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. One day your adoption will be complete. One day your very body will be redeemed and glorified, made just like Jesus' body, and you will be forever with the Lord. What an inheritance that will be. This topic of adoption is very personal for me. My father and I were not close. Uh, He did the best he could. And the fact is, I'm growing older and I'm finding out more and more about how hard he had it. And so, he did the best with what he had. But he and I were not close. I did not feel his love. More often than not, I felt my father's disapproval. He was very critical. He had a couple of names he often called me. And so, I grew up feeling like I never measured up. 
And then I became a Christian. And I found out that I didn't feel particularly close to my Heavenly Father either. For many years, I thought that I could get God to love me more by doing certain things. By being right, by believing the right theology, by doing a lot of good things for people. And I wonder sometimes if maybe a little bit of the reason why I went off to seminary and became a pastor was that I thought, well, that'd be the way to really get on the inside with God. I always felt like an outsider. Always felt like, even with God, I never measured up. Well, one day, when we were living in South Carolina, I got something in the mail. And I was a pastor up there. And this letter was an invitation to a conference that I'd never heard of before. And pastors get this kind of mail all the time, and usually I just toss them in the, in the trash. But something about this envelope caught my eye. On the outside of this envelope were printed a number of questions that could relate to pastors. One of them was, do you feel like you never measure up? Yeah. <laughs> Another was, do you feel overwhelmed rather than energized by ministry? Yeah. Another one was, is your week only as good as your last sermon was? Yeah. Another was, do you feel like life is a list of unending obligations? Yes, yes, yes. I checked every box. I didn't throw that letter in the mail. Instead, I took it home to Susie, my wife, and I said, Honey, I don't know what this conference is about. I don't know anything about the people who put it on, but we need to go. So we went, and my life changed, and so was hers. You know what the name of the conference was? Sonship Week. (laughs) The whole week was being told and reminded over and over and over again that the fact is God is very delighted with me and with you. My life changed and really hasn't been the same since. And yet, you know what I still struggle with the most? This whole thing that I've been telling you about. It's a fight for me. Is it for you? i got to believe that there are people in this room just like I was back then. You love the fact that God has forgiven your sins and called you righteous. But you really struggle with the idea that God enjoys you like a parent enjoys his or her kids. And I've got to believe that there are probably people in this room who were wounded by their fathers, just as I was. God wants me to tell you something. And that is that He loves you a whole lot. And He's delighted with you. And He's pleased with you. You're His beloved son or daughter. I also wonder if I'm talking to anyone today who needs that new identity and has never said yes to the Father. If that's true of you, here's what you need to do. I think I've mentioned this before. A, B, C. A, admit your need. Tell Him about your sins. B, believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And C, commit your life to Him. Become a follower of Jesus. And if you'll do that, 
I promise you, you'll find a love that will never let you go. Let's pray.